0: So we serve children that have had a heart transplant, and Enduring Hearts funds pediatric heart transplant across the globe to try to make that precious new gift of life last a lifetime. Uh, What a lot of people probably don't know is that right now, on average, a heart transplant only lasts around 17 years, and so that's yeah, it's pretty tragic. And um, you know a child getting a heart transplant at one or two, 17 years is really not a full life. So um, Enduring Hearts was actually founded with the mission to make it last a, a full lifetime and actually started by entrepreneurs
1: Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I'm live on the line with Carolyn Salvador. Carolyn, are you there?
0: I am, Richard. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. So where are you calling in from today?
0: Today I'm calling in from a wonderful, not-so-sunny Key Largo, Florida.
1: Key Largo? We haven't been down there yet. No, Key Largo is the island at the bottom of the Keys, right?
0: Yes, it's the first key uh, in the stream of the Keys.
1: Yeah, so we were there last year. We went and visited Key Largo and Is marolada. I believe. I'm I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but
0: you're, you're butchering um, it. We got to go visit
1: uh, that on our travels less.
0: Isla Marata.
1: <laughs> Isla Marata. So I was I was close. We got to not go snorkeling really. there. Super fun. Anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. We're we're staying down here for a little while before uh heading back to Atlanta, which is where Enduring Hearts is headquartered.
1: Nice. Yeah. So for those of you who've been following along with uh, my wife and I's travels, um, we're currently in South Carolina. We're on our way back down to Florida. We're hoping to get into uh, Fiesta Key, I believe, later this year. We'll see if we can get down there or not. Um, But anyways, what I want to do to get started is just go through a very brief introduction of who you are, and then we'll get into your story. So I'm Kayla Salvador. You are the Chief Executive Officer of Enduring Hearts Incorporated, Um, And what I want to find out from you is what is it that Enduring Hearts does? Who do you serve?
0: So we serve children that have had a heart transplant. And Enduring Hearts funds pediatric heart transplant across the globe to try to make that precious new gift of life last a lifetime. Uh, What a lot of people probably don't know is that right now, on average, a heart transplant only lasts around 17 years. And so that's, yeah, it's pretty tragic. And, um, you know, a child getting a heart transplant at one or two, 17 years is really not a full life. So um, Enduring Hearts was actually founded with the mission to make it last a a full lifetime and actually started by entrepreneurs.
1: So. I didn't know that about hearts that they only last 17 years. How do you guys help to extend the life of the heart? Is it, are you actually trying to make the heart last longer? Or are you trying to make it so they can get another transplant? What's the actual, like, how do you actually accomplish that goal? That is a fantastic question.
0: So we're doing that by funding research to be able to extend what's called the, the heart longevity. Um, but there's actually a, a lot of different ways that we attack it all through research, um, but Primarily, right now, when our own bodies receive something that's not ours, our bodies, our wonderful white blood cells, go, "Hey, not me! Let me attack it!" Right, and so they start almost, you know, yeah. fighting this. drugs to kind of stop our body from rejecting it. So organ rejection, if you do, is the foe. So we're always fighting, you know, and trying to keep organ rejection at bay. With these immunosuppressant drugs so we fund lots of research in order to detect organ rejection sooner find better ways to detect it because sometimes organ rejection looks like a stomach cold or it looks like a common cold and then the only way right now that we really have to detect it is to go in and put a child under anesthesia and go into the cath lab and take a piece of their heart and then put it under a microscope and then kind of score it and grade it. And that's really imperfect. And without getting into too much science, it's really imperfect and then um, try to treat it. And for some types of organ rejection, there's even no treatments for it. So we work on the science of immunology to give them better drugs and treatments. We work on the technology piece of how do we use like blood biomarkers to detect it so we're not taking a piece of the heart. And then um, you talked about, well, could we just give them another heart? There's even pieces of um, bioengineering where we're looking at maybe one day there could be something called xenotransplantation. Like there's just not enough hearts. So is there a way um, 50% of children die on the waiting list? So maybe there's a way to have other hearts in the pipeline because a lot, most children, don't get a second chance or I should say third chance for another heart transplant because there aren't enough hearts to go around even with
2: the first transplant.
1: So um, just out of curiosity, are you guys also doing research in the uh, regenerative medicine space where they're talking about like growing hearts in a Petri dish, that kind of stuff from stem cells from the, from the child?
0: So we, are, we are looking and funding um, different stem cell research, but we're starting in um, a type of stem cell that looks at not necessarily the whole heart. You have to kind of start with maybe some of the pieces of it. So we actually have a model that is using stem cells to kind of recreate the veins of the heart and mimic rejection so that we can kind of study what this very insidious type of rejection looks like. And so that's definitely, and and the field is looking at that. How do we, how do we use them? How do we use them for patches on the heart? So it's in the kind of beginning stages of it. Um, They're looking at different um, animal hearts to see, you know, is there, are there tissues that we can use from baboons or other animals to use without kind of going into all the animal pieces, but um, there's, there's definitely yeah, there's definitely, you know, a lot of science around how do we um, increase the supply of hearts. And if you think about it, um, Richard, do you have children?
2: I have four of them. Yeah. Oh my
0: goodness. Four children. So, um, yeah, I have, I have two children. They're in their twenties now, but I, you know, never as a parent, when my children were young, really thought about, you know, what would happen about making my children organ donors. And, you know, you have to really think about that. And that's in the worst moment of a, Parents' life; those parents did something just so um, so selfless and and gave up their organs for another child to have that chance. So that is so incredible. Um, and but it's so limited; like that supply is so limited. So we really have to try to make that first heart last. And so and Enduring Hearts is the only organization that's dedicated solely to doing that. There's lots of great organizations that focus on heart
2: but we're the only ones that are really solving that problem for these young children.
1: So my next sort of question on that then is, are you guys like physically doing the research in under your umbrella or are you guys doing the funding of the research or both? Um,
0: so we have a scientific advisory committee team that basically curates all of our research and they are the best and the brightest, but they're from all over different institutions from all over the North America. We even have a researcher from Alberta, Canada. That's part of our team. They, we have research that comes into us again from all over the world globe. We just funded a study in Germany and during hearts doesn't have one lab. So it's not being done in our Enduring Hearts lab. It's being done wherever great research is. So, so far we've been around since 2013, funded our first study in 14. Um, I think we're up to about 45 different research studies funded at Harvard, Stanford, um, Calgary, Germany. So wherever, again, the best research is, our team, we have about 12, 13 doctors that are on our Scientific Advisory Committee team. They're the ones that determine these are the targeted areas that will make the biggest impact. And then when all the studies come in, they will peer review and score all of the different scientific studies. And then we will determine which ones we can fund based
2: upon funding and also based upon impact and significance to a child's transplant longevity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So
1: from a business standpoint, how do you guys go about generating the revenue required to fund these studies?
0: We're a 501c3, which is a public charity. So um, that's just, you know, tax determination. But that also means that we need to get public funds. We can't rely on like one family, you know, one family donor just to kind of strike a big check. So it's hard work. (laughs) It really is hard work. We are, uh, we started in Atlanta out of um, a family, uh, you know, a, a family that happened to they thought they had two healthy children and uh, they went on a family vacation during Disney and their one daughter, the youngest daughter went into heart failure, basically at the magical place in the world. And um, she was rushed to the hospital, kind of fast forward. They were told she needed a transplant. And um, when they found out it wasn't a cure, they basically started the charity to do something about it. So I, I say that because they could have at that point in time, they were, he had just sold a business. He had money to get the very best care for his daughter, and he could have just stopped there and taken care of his daughter. But he decided to create this public charity because he knew at that point in time, which was 2013, a transplant was only lasting around 11 years. And so he knew to be able to really do more good in the world and really be able to impact his daughter's life and kids like her, he needed to get a lot of people aware of the charity, aware of that need, and be able to get a lot of donors so a long answer to your question is we get public money. So we do fundraisers, we try to create awareness um, by getting our messaging out there. We leverage pockets of heart families to be able to help us spread the mission, social media, um, events, you know, some grants to institutions, but um, really it's it's really public awareness and public donation.
1: Interesting. So- when you say public funds, does that mean it has to come from like government funding? Or does that mean like, could I donate to the organization? Yeah. How does, What, what yeah. does that mean?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. It means the general public, not not. We don't get any government funding, so it's so it's the general public, and being the type of charity donation again, that's it's a business. So it's just, but the government, the, you know, U.S. government says if you're a public charity, you need to get so much money, so many, so many, uh, so much of your donation has to come from so many people. You can't have like one big donor because then it becomes a foundation. So we're a public charity. So it means that we have to get lots of people donating amounts to us. It could be ten dollars. It could be a hundred dollars. It could be ten thousand dollars. It could be a lot more. That'd be great. But, but we need to get a wide um, kind of breadth of people donating to the charity to have that what's called public
2: support.
1: Yeah. So um, when you guys are actually looking at building the charity do you guys you build it the same way an entrepreneur would build a normal business but instead of selling a product or service you guys are selling the need to donate
0: we're selling you get you get nothing for it except for the feeling of feeling really great about making an impact and so we go through all as a ceo i'm running this organization you know i think i shared with you before we got started i've owned several businesses and i'm i'm doing the same things i have a you know i have marketing you know i think about my marketing plans i think about my brand think about my messaging think about how that looks what the you know what the channels of my marketing you know are how do i execute that think about my pipeline of my sales if you will right you think about what's coming in what's coming out those are my donors um you know that's what what are the events what's the calendar you do budgeting planning forecasting um it's really the same except for you know we're relying on people's goodwill, um, and the and we have to make sure that we're really doing a good job of communicating our impact. And then there's other nuances which are even more um, incredible because with a nonprofit and business, you know it's your own profit, right? You're a sm- you're a you know small business owner or a large business owner, and you know you're trying to improve your bottom line. You know you want to be able to um, be able to, of course, lower your expenses to be able to enhance your bottom line. I guess same kind of principle, except that within a charity, you know, when there's optics of donors coming in looking, they want to make sure that the lion's share of the money that you raise is going toward what's called like your programs, your research and your programs. And so we have our research and we have family programs. And our family programs and we do gas cards for families that have heart transplants and um and a temporary food program for them and, and some other support programs. So all that combined needs to equal. Or um, have a certain percentage of our money, so we try to get somewhere between seventy-five and eighty-five percent of all the money raised, or all our expenses that go toward that bucket. Which means that all of your operation costs and everything else have to be really lean and mean. So it's kind of hard. because you kind of are like a duck paddling, you know, under you know underwater, and the duck's legs are going really fast. It's like thinking about like when you're operating in a startup company, you know, and you don't have that big startup money coming in, you're trying to operate lean so you can kind of make some profit kind of same thing. You're always in that a lot of nonprofits operate in that lean mode when you're a when you're a public charity because you know that that's really important for donors because you don't want to give it to, you know, someone that's not really mindful of that bottom line because it is about bringing your mission Out there in the world and improving the life for us improving the lives of those children
1: yeah it's a lot like one of the things that we talk about a lot with you know our business and and some of the coaching places that i'm in is you know you you're targeting that 28 to 30 percent margin right where the the rest of the money is all going to essentially your cost of goods your labor costs and energy costs all that your cost of goods is it's the research and the actual programs and so the whole business needs to be operated on what's left (laughs)
2: Exactly,
0: exactly. Um, And we're a growing charity, which is exciting. Um, You know, we have grown tremendously, um, you know, I think quadrupled our revenues over the past four years. So and, and that's great, because we need to do that in order to make the transplant last. So We've um, created partnerships with different organizations to be able to co-fund grants and we're trying to kind of leverage every dollar we can so that it's we can get others to come alongside of us and fund the research um, because as I said when we started they really you know there's not anyone else focusing on it. so if we can get others, that's great kind of be the Pied
2: piper in it
1: Yeah, so you talked a little bit already about your origin story and how the charity got started. What I want to talk about next is, as the CEO, your superpowers that you bring to the business, right? So we talk about this all the time. Every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's a fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call on thunder or, you know, super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is like a skill or a set of skills that you're either born with or you developed over time that really energize all of the other skills. Right? And the superpower is what sets you apart and allows you to help other people slay their villains, right? Or in this case, you know, make the, the hearts last longer for children. Um, and the way I like my guests to think about it is if you look at all the skills you've developed over time, you probably have a common thread that ties all those skills together. And that's probably where your superpower is found. So what do you think your superpower is that you bring to bear on this charity? Ooh,
2: um, so...
0: Well, one, I think about this. That's kind of a a hard Um, (laughs) self-reflection. I know, I know you put me on the spot. Okay. Um, I, you know, I know that I have a lot of energy and passion around the mission and I know throughout my career um, I am a very action oriented kind of person. And so I think I bring a lot of energy, um, a lot of energy to this role and because I'm so such a go-getter, if you will, um, and I bring a lot of enthusiasm about the mission. I am able to bring along a lot of people. Um, I get a lot of people to kind of come alongside of me and get excited and become what I'll call evangelical about the cause because they can kind of feed off of my energy and my actions. And so I think throughout my career, I've been able to activate people around me and get them to become passionate about the things that are important. And so I think if my um, superpower may be someone told me, uh, I'm able to get people to walk across the bridge. I'm able to um, get people to collaborate and to get people to engage and be excited about things because they can see my vision and I'm, I'm very visionary. And so I think that's between that and the energy that I bring because I'm, um, I have a lot of tornadic activity around me.
2: And so I think those kind of two things get people um, pretty pumped up about you know what's going on. So, the sort of the, the,
1: the follow up question I have for that after hearing you you say, you know, it's the, it's the the mission and having the energy and the passion for the mission. One of the things, if you ever read, I think it's the book, uh, I think it's Good to Great. Uh, yes, but they I'm talk about it. in that book I, that, it, it. <laughs> yeah, that that getting everyone in the company, everyone in the organization to buy into the mission is one of the things that separates a good company from a great company, or I would assume a good charity from a great charity. So, As the CEO, how do you work on getting the people who are working for the organization to buy into the mission with the same level of passion that you have?
0: So There's two different stakeholders. I have people working, truly the kind of employees working. And then there's the board of directors who are the volunteers that are working. So um, I can address both. The people working for the charity um, have been, two of them have been working with me for eight to 10 years before I worked for this charity, they worked for me in a past charity. Um, so, and we've, there's a theme like we've worked to be, um, you know, we've been champions of children. So I know that about myself. And so to be a champion for the underdog, if you will. And so I think that's, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's an easy sell, right? Because, you know no one, no one wants to see um, a sick child and because we're the only ones, and I, I think always being in touch with the mission and never getting too far away from it. And so with whether it's the my team or whether it's the board, i'm I'm always um, making sure that I go back, whether it's a board moment or, or board meeting or within that we reflect on why we're doing it. And it's like kind of getting back to the why. And so it's having a mission moment or putting that back in it and remembering the why. And sometimes when I'll I'll be in a meeting and where it's very tactical or I'm like not getting a lot of engagement, I'll come off of a meeting and go, Well, that kind of didn't go the way I want, or I didn't get a lot of engagement. I have to then reflect, well, we didn't we didn't talk about the why again. Like it's you know, so I know that making sure that I put the why on top of everything and whether that's Putting in an interview with a family or putting the child's face or telling the story or getting them to emote. And once you hear that, then you're refocused. Then it's not, oh, a board member that's sitting for an hour and a half away from their desk and they're really checking their phone. Or it's like, it's like you're making a difference. Like this is why. And these kids are in a race against time because if a transplant lasts 17 years, that clock is ticking. So, and if we're the only ones doing it, what are we doing? Like we've got to, we've, this is, this is highly motivational. So if you're not motivated by, by sick children dying, then you shouldn't be on this board. And so, and we've got to do something. And so everyone is motivated and, um, and it's just more of just refocusing that energy around why. And so um, I think that's, you know, the, it's it, it, just putting it back in the top of focus, I think.
1: Uh, and it's just it's a it's a key for like every organization is learning how to do that. And um, you have such a, you the word you, emotive, such an emotive mission, right? That it it just it strikes right at right at the heart for. Yeah, for I, I don't have to it's work that
0: hard about it. I just have to remind us remember, again. Remember why, to do it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Some, it's not something special. I'm not creating it. It's really there. It's um and you know yeah. behind the scenes my team has been our. Our family programs, um, we get you know email, We deal with twenty five to thirty transplant hospitals across the U.S. And so we have these programs that are ongoing. And um, a family will apply for a gas card, and then we'll get an email back from a social worker, and it will be you know sorry, please take you know Samantha so and so off the list because you know they died. And my whole office will erupt in tears. Or you know there's a family that we're interacting with on social media. And there was a little child that passed away, um, you know, several weeks ago and to cry thinking about it. And we all were following this little girl and, you know, feisty Phoebe. And we've been engaging with this family for, I'm going to cry for a year. And she was a w- couple weeks shy of her one year heart transplant and she died. And it, you know, it's, these are not statistics. They're not numbers. These are children and families. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, Highly motivational for us all,
1: yeah absolutely, and it's that's it's a it's got to be rough to be dealing with something that's both motivational and also like it's it's hard right heavy. to <laughs> it's heavy that that every time you know every time you have a child that passes away that you guys have been working with and helping it's like our how do you get back to the, like we have to get back to work because like it, it can feel like failure. <laughs>
0: you know, I, uh, it, it is tough. You know, sometimes I look and go, God, I just don't like my job today. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like it. I, you know, I I will, I will cry. I look at my husband and go, why am I doing this? This is really tough. But, um, but I know why I'm doing it because, you know, I'm a kind of a firm believer sometimes, you know, God gives you what you can handle. I think, um, being too yeah. spiritual, but, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there's a reason. I think there's a reason I'm doing this. So, um, you know, I'm. I'm just a. I've been a kid crusader for a long time. It's been in my blood for a very, very long time. I owned a large licensed childcare center with 200 children and 30 teachers. So,
2: um, I'm certainly passionate about uh, yeah. trying to help children. So, this has got, uh, I think, the ultimate challenge for me.
1: Yeah. So I want to talk about the flip side then of your superpower. So if your superpower is getting your team and your organization to buy into that mission and continue to fight for it, the flip side of superpower is the fatal flaw, right? So just like every Superman has a kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her braces of victory without going mad, uh, so you probably have a flaw that's held you back in growing your charity, something that you struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things, right? I struggled with perfectionism early in my career. Um, kept me from actually like shipping product, getting things to market. I also struggled with lack of self-care mostly in that I didn't have good boundaries set to my clients that would answer the phone in the wee hours of the night and, um, you know, work till I died just about. Uh, So, but I think more important than what the flaw is, is how have you worked to overcome it so you can continue to grow and serve your organization's mission?
2: Oh, so for me personally, um, I don't know
0: that I have overcome it, but um, I am trying so I think my uh my kryptonite is um to slow down so i am <laughs> I am trying to slow down so being still or slowing down is my continuous challenge because uh I have very high standards and I move very quickly um i think quickly, and so um trying to be very mindful of that others may not move at you know Mach five speed or ten whatever I'm going at it the day and to um You know, I I do have to remind myself, I just met with my team yesterday and it's like and we joke about it, but I have to remind myself, like when I'm doing written communication, to go back and put salutations, you know, or when I'm texting, hi, good morning, how are you? It's not that I don't love the people, but I'm like already in a mode of I'm like, nope, let me just make sure I go back and and humanize everything I'm doing. And it's just because I'm I get into that very, you know, business mode of Uh, just you know full throttle so i think doing that um you know for me it's being able and also trying to figure out how to turn it off because i am um you know if if a board member emails me at 10 o'clock at night and i happen to have my laptop on my you know legs which i often do i'm going to respond to it so i can't say that i've overcome it but i'm trying
1: (laughs) yeah i know i have the same same kind of thing going with like when i get into work mode I have to remember, like, because I have four young children. They're all, like, 12 and younger all the way down to, like, two. Um, that And I work at home so I can be here with them and hang out with them and do things. But, like, know that, like, I, I have to work on being able to transition from work mode Richard to, like, dad Richard very quickly. Um, because the way to that I work. Uh, yeah, it's hard to have, hard to have boundaries and those kind of things. And realize, like, I don't want to be mean to them. Right. And like, you know, the whole you talk about uh, humanizing your communications. And it's like the same kind of thing where, like, if I'm in work mode, I'm very quick and I'm very blunt and I'm very short with like, because I've got things I got to get done. And like, my son will come in and want to tell me something and I'm here, I want to listen to it. But at the same time, I like, I'll be blunt with him. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be blunt. Like, <laughs> it's like, I actually do care about what you're doing, but I have to like make that transition. Yeah.
0: I, I think, yeah, it's funny. I um I get like that. And I, um one of the things that uh, for me helps is that because um, I work remote, you know, we work remotely and then we have a joint, we have an office that we go to, but um, I often don't go to the office because I, um because then I'm, because then I don't get my work done and everyone is talking to me. It <laughs> sounds horrible, but everyone is, you know, so I have to make sure that I, I have that balance of going in and, and saying that for half a day, I am yours. You can just you you know, I will sit in the middle of the office and you can just ask me every question you can do, you know, but if I go in the office thinking I'm going to get any work done, I'm not going to get any of my work done. So I have to kind of balance the, um, balance the time of full access to my own time of kind of time blocking my day and getting my own stuff done. And so I think, um, trying to kind of do those things that way I can kind of check out at a certain point in time and feel good about turning it off. Um, I'm still working on the turning it off part uh, because that's, that's yeah. hard when you, you know,
1: because, because you're not done, right? Like I don't have a gov- right. And I don't have a
0: governor. <laughs> they still, you know, I don't, yeah. and it's only 17 years. So I won't be done until it's a lifetime. So um,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, one of the things we talk about on the show all the time is that entrepreneurs never really are done with their mission, which is why it's hard to turn off and actually recreate, like take time for ourselves and those kind of things. And it's even like more pressing for what you do because you're like, if you stop, no one else is doing this work. Right. So, and, and, you, you know, know like, I could see how it'd be very difficult to turn off.
0: And I like business. You know, I really like b- the just business. So I read business books. I read business articles. I read and I, so when I'm reading them, that's not really relaxing. So when I'm reading good to great or, you know, whatever it, the business book is in front of me my mind is still spinning about business. So I may be sitting there, but I'm reading it and I'm jotting notes down. So I'm still not really turning my brain off, really, even though I might be sitting there at the end of the evening reading, I'm just thinking. And then I'm staring at the ceiling at night going, oh, I could do that. Or what, what do I have to do tomorrow? So, um, a hundred other things you could
1: do, yeah. Yeah,
0: my book choice is not really good for me to kind of relax to either. And then, But then I'm not going to read a book during the day. So I don't know when I'm going to read the, all these books. So I have got like four <laughs> business books that I can't find time to. To finish because I don't know when I'm going to finish them. If that makes sense, because it's not making me go to sleep at night. Yeah,
1: <laughs> get, get audiobooks and listen to them on the way back and forth to the office.
0: Yeah, the, the, my office is a quarter mile from my house. That won't work. <laughs> I can do it while well, I'm running.
1: Maybe, think yeah. maybe you have to. You'll have to uh, walk to work and listen to books that way. <laughs> Something. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I'm going to talk then about a little bit about your common enemy right? And, you know, every superhero has an arch nemesis, and it's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. And generally speaking, we put it in the context of, uh, of your clients. And, and since you're in a unique situation with a charity, let's put it in the context of the people who are donating to Enduring Hearts. And it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you sort of have to help them overcome so you can continue your mission, right? So you can get them to actually donate and help them be a part of what you're doing. So, what is what is sort of the the arch nemesis you have to fight to to get people to buy into the mission and actually give for
2: for what it is you guys are doing? Um, you know what? Well, I think there's two components. One is that you have people that are charitable,
0: and you have people that don't really consider charity as part of what they do. So yes. people. So one is that. You know, the people that don't really consider charity, it's kind of hard to you either have to they have to have a tie or introduce them and maybe you can get them to come along. Um, but that's even just kind of convincing them generally of it's it's good to give, right? You're gonna get something, you know, even though you're not getting a goods or services, there's an intrinsic value and you're gonna and and you're gonna make an impact. Um, the people that give then a lot of people have their own passion projects, right? Or they have their things they care about. Like I love dogs or whales or, you know, my grandmother has diabetes. I'm going to give to diabetes. And it, studies show people give to their universities, you know, their churches, their kind of affinity groups where they, where they and if if there's a cause impacted. So you take something like pediatric heart transplantation, where there's not a lot of children each year that get one. So you might not, but there's thousands of children that have them. There's thousands waiting. And then we've got this whole overarching congenital heart defect, so the most prevalent birth defect. But if you haven't been impacted by it or you don't know, like, how do I, how do I convince someone that might care about children's charities to focus on us? Right. How do I, how do I get people to care? Because when you talk about something that's like childhood cancer and let me preface, I never want to put one sick child against another because. They all need support, so I would just say that. But you, know, you hear lots about childhood cancer and how do we help these children? Um, but congenital heart defects and heart are, are important. There's, there's, you know, it's the most prevalent birth defect. So how do I move people into the space of going? Well, I might not know anyone that had a heart transplant, but 17 years for a child is is really that's not acceptable. Like we have to. So how do I make them care? So I think that's where I, you know, that's kind of a. Because people go, well, how many? How many a year? And we'll say, well, five hundred. No, that's not a lot. Again, well, okay, but think about what your dollar can do and the impact you can have on on those children. So, you know, and if we're the only organization doing it. Then it's not like other organizations where you have may have one disease, but there's twenty five or forty organizations that it's spread across that are funding research and have been doing it for years and years, and there's still no so it's trying to get people to kind of come along and see that you can have an impact that, you know, it's a very focused charity that, you know, these children need, you know, need someone in their corner and, and, and trying to kind of change or craft that mindset. So I think that's kind of our, our foe because it doesn't
2: impact a lot of of kids specifically heart transplantation.
1: So, One of the things that just popped in my head, and I don't know if this is useful for you, but like we we ran a a supplement company for a number of years, and um, one of the things that was super effective for us on a marketing standpoint was having a charitable mission on the backside of our products. Um, So when we sold our supplements, one we we sold like teens multivitamins and um, parents multivitamins and men's and kids and all these kind of things, and what we did was every bottle that we sold we donated to a charity, Um, I think it was vitamin angels, right? And Mm -hmm. vitamin angels, um, essentially, they had it down, like every every 25 cents you donated, provided enough vitamin A to essentially save a child's life, right? Um, Because vitamin A deficiency is like the leading cause of death in children, something like Mm -hmm. that. And when we started marketing that, um, that when you buy a bottle, we will um, donate to this charity. And essentially, we had a marketing tagline, it was buy a bottle, save a life, because we donated enough um, from every sale to essentially save the life of a child. And I know there, there's, a, there's this whole thing called uh, conscious capitalism, but there's a lot of companies that are looking for organizations like yours to partner up with so that they can have that as a marketing outlet. Um, and I know it almost doubled our sales when we added a charitable component to our sales, where we were saying, hey, when you buy one of our products, um, we donate We donate to this. So it increased our sales. It was really good benefit for us as another company. Have you guys started looking at um, not just individual donors, but maybe e-commerce companies or other things that are looking to have an impact?
0: So the answer is we've talked about it, but haven't got far in that conversation. So I'd love to continue that conversation with you on kind of that, how to, how to do that. Um, You know, kind of how, what does that look like on the opposite end? Like what's intriguing? We've talked about, so February is heart month. And in Heart Month, you know, we've talked about what does a partnership look like, you know, and I thought like, okay, you think about things red, you know, how do you partner with someone that says like if you sold red wine, right, you know, for a bottle of red wine or something, it goes back, red pajamas, right, you know, something tied with children or, you know, company, so you think about like, what could happen that you have this ongoing Or you know, I love the companies like Tom's, right, there's companies that you know of that give back. So having that charity tie, we've talked about how they operating room, I talked about that, that percentage that goes to the, uh that goes to your research and goes to, so we're really lean. And <laughs> so we've talked about it now, how to actually get that implemented and executed and then connecting. It takes these conversations Go, you know, I know someone, so let's kind of craft out what that looks like. And then think about the best inroads. So totally on our, on our conversation radar, but not yet in the execution of it. So
2: Ooh. love to follow
1: so yeah, we can we can continue later after the podcast interview and I can show you like how we were approaching the marketing. Because I think if you were going to approach it the other direction, Because right? we were look as a company, we were looking like who can we do charitable work with. Mm-hmm. Um but I think yeah. from your side, you want to look at companies who are like they may not know the benefits, right? They may not know that it can increase sales or Right. Um, right. It that has to be what's it for them. A, yeah. 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 And like, we did a lot of focus on our marketing with that stuff. We would put a whole page together on the website. And we promoted that page more often than almost anything else, because it was a good tie in, right? Our target market was moms with kids. And, you know, when you're selling supplements to moms with kids, you're like, Hey, when you buy a bottle of this stuff, you're going to buy it anyways, you're going to get supplements for your kids anyways, why not buy from a company who's also going to um help another 100%. child right and, and, there's, so and there's
0: all those alignments so i think i think it's brilliant it's definitely something that we've talked about and we're um i'm kind of in the beginning stages with our public relations company about you know putting together letters to be able to craft out for heart month in february you know what is a you know identifying those kind of companies or corporate partnerships and it's something that we have not yet as an organization solidified and and how do we um how do we formulate those companies? What does it look like for them? What's the value add for them, right? It's But it's that social marketing. It's that, um, you know, and how yeah. do they tag with us? And it's interesting, you had picked a, uh, an organization that wasn't necessarily a household name because on the flip side, one of the kind of things that we come against is, well, Enduring Hearts, yes, you're a national company, but you're not American Heart Association. You're not St. Jude. So a lot of companies want to, you know, want to team up with a big brand. And so we're not bringing that big brand name to someone so they may not be interested. So it's just like trying to figure out what yeah, is the right thing. To
1: figure out who it is. You probably have to find like a certain level of entrepreneur. <laughs> and really what we were looking for is we were looking for, um, you know, we did, we do actually care about the mission. That's one of the things that, you know, we're, right. we're doing supplementation because we care about kids and health and that kind of stuff. So it aligned with what we were doing, but That's we were, it. the thing we were looking for was they had, they had the taglines we needed, right? It was buy a bottle, save a life, right? And it and that's something we came up with. But they had the math; they knew they knew how much money led to certain things getting done, right? So, um, so we could we could put those numbers into our marketing, um, and that was really what helped us decide. It Was like, hey, if we if we donate to these ones, we know exactly like, hey, when we donate, when we sell this product, we can donate this much money, and this is what's going to get done with it. Uh, and that really helped us decide which company to go with. So, you know, those are the kind of things that you'll probably have to think about, and you could approach companies with, be like, "Hey, you know, if you donate, donated, you know, a dollar of every sale or twenty five cents from another sale, here's how it gets spent, and what what happens with that." So, you know, every time one of your customers buys one of your products, um, right. you're helping this stuff happen, right? You're helping save a child's life, or you're helping extend, a, you know, we add a year to the to the life of a lifespan right. of a heart.
0: Right. Which is really hard, you know. Which is really hard on the research yeah, it's side. Hard to you know, do. To a, it's very, very hard. Like when you talk about, like what's the other challenge? Like being able to kind of determine your impact when you have research that has to last a really long time. So those are also really kind of difficult things to measure right now when you're funding. You know, we're funding a lot of innovation and startup research that. um you know, that will see its way to the bench side in four or five years from now. So how do we do that too? Um, but if we to go away, we don't have that funnel of research. That's all that,
2: you know, well, those I, are great
1: ideas. So you also have, uh, you have family programs that probably have some really easy numbers that go along with them. Like, you know, here's how much it costs an average family who's going through the transplant to pay for food and pay for medical bills or pay for like the gas cars back and forth, how right. much they spend. And, you know, some of our product you can you know help a family accomplish these things and that's kind of i don't know anyways i think there's lots of there's lots of synergy there for you guys to look at in the future but anyways cool to hear that you're already going down that path
0: yeah but no thank you for bringing it up and and putting it back to the top of the mind so i appreciate that that's you know great to
2: great to talk to you about that
1: (laughs) yeah so I want to talk then, um, we, we've we we sort of covered, we know what your mission is, right? Your mission is to to extend the life of a heart. So I want to talk about some more practical things. Um, and I call this the hero's tool belt. And it's, you know, just like every superhero has their awesome gadgets like batarangs or web slingers or their magical hammers. Let's we'll talk about top one or two tools you couldn't live without to run your charity, right? It could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to um the marketing tools you use to get the word out something that you use every day something you know essentially what's what's top one or two tools you couldn't live without to do your work
0: my immediate my immediate response would be my team i know that's not you know necessarily a tool but i've got
1: just it a, works
0: it is i've got my you know my my superpowers come from the fact that i've got people that i know that i can trust that I care about the mission that work incredibly hard i've got a really, you know, great team on our board that is super dedicated to the mission. So I think, you know, for me, it is surrounding yourself with people that are just as passionate about the mission mm-hmm. and being able to, um, you know, and being able to to have them and be able to bring them along and be able to further the mission. So I think that's like one of my number one tools. The second you named it is my notebooks. Right. I have three different notebooks. So I write my stuff down on three different notebooks. So I've got my, my research notebook, I've got my action notebook, and then I've got my kind of my note notebook. So um, I operate on my notebooks all the time because I go so fast so if I don't write it down, I'm so engaged in the conversation. Um, I've got to write my stuff down. I'm a, I'm a visual, you know, and so I write it down I go back and I reread my notebooks and I go back and it's very really helpful to me because I catch stuff and go, oh yeah, we talked about that. And I'll date it and I date the top of every page on the notebook so that I can kind of, and the, and the topic of conversation on each page so that I can remember who I was talking
2: to and what these scribbles mean because my handwriting is not so great.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can totally relate with the team thing. I know it was a huge, um, change in my business when I went from being a solopreneur to having an organization, having a team of people, um, and I know like it was a big roadblock for me to actually hire people and have have a team. And it, once once I did that, um, our business has grown a lot since then, which is great. Um, and I know it's uh, it's it it sort of feels like having superpowers when you have other people who care about what you do and are are working to you know make your mission a reality. Um, so that's 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 huge. As far as notebooks, I'm an auditory learner, so if I write things down, um, they disappear forever, so I can't use notebooks because oh it's like gosh. it's now out of my head it's gone.
2: <laughs> oh I mean
0: complete uh, you and I would be on opposite pages, and I, I am not an auditory learner in nope. fact. I, I work my, with one of my team members is auditory. So she, she talks at me and I go, uh, 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 <laughs> please write it down. I get, you know, I need, I need yeah. to get to be writing. Yes. Yeah. So I, cause I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm talking to you. I won't remember what you told me.
1: <laughs> yeah. My, my wife is that way. She's very visual. So she's got her notebook and she writes all the things down. And, and then my son is like me, he's an auditory learner. Um, and the, one of the most interesting things is she, they, they're homeschooled because we travel. So my wife has been teaching. It was a couple of years ago. My wife is like, I can't get through to your son. Like, I can't get him to understand anything or do anything. I'm like, I feel like I'm failing as a teacher. And I was like, have you considered that maybe he's not a visual learner like you, but an auditory learner like me? And she was like, dang it. No, I didn't consider that at all. So she switched a lot of how she was teaching him from visual to auditory. And he just took off like a rocket. Um, and so, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's really, uh, really fascinating.
0: Yeah, I'm, um, I'm in awe of auditory learners because I will... I am, you know, I, am listening and then I'm just, and all of a sudden it'll go up here. I've got, I've got to stay focused. Maybe I've got to keep, I've got to write
2: it down. Uh, so that's great.
1: Yeah. Uh, my, uh, um, one of my business running partners is visual. Like you are, and he's funny. Cause he'll be like, I'll like explain things to him over the phone. He's like, I don't get it. You'll have to like pull up a screen share and draw on the screen for me. Um, but the other way around, he's like, "So like, I have something cool, and I have to show it to you." And he's like, "Wait, I don't have to show it to you. I could just tell you." And I'm like, "Yeah, that works just fine for me."
0: <laughs> it's much easier if you can just tell someone. I think as long yeah. as you can articulate your, you know, what you're trying to get across.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's. I think so being an auditory awesome. learner is a superpower.
1: It kind of is kind of is it's definitely um, our our world lends itself very well nowadays to auditory learning um just cuz a lot of you know audiobooks and podcasts and there's a lot of learning availability from an audio standpoint and it's it's less intensive um to do like visual stuff it requires a lot more work and creative skills so. it's certainly
2: easier to, to just hear yeah. it i think
1: <laughs> and now a quick word from our show's sponsor Hey there, fellow podcaster, having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. The struggle ends now, introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now, back to the hero show. I want to talk then about some of your own personal heroes, right? So every hero has their mentors, just like you know, Frodo had Gandalf, or Obi Wan had um, had uh, sorry, Luke had Obi Wan, not the other way around, uh, or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, or even Spider Man had his Uncle Ben. Um, who are some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors? You know, maybe peers who were a couple years ahead of you, uh, and how important were they to what you've accomplished so far? I
0: think about that, my kind of my heroes. Um, I definitely had people along the way that have kind of mentored me and that have, um, that have helped me a bit. You know, I have to think about that. I, you know, I look, I think I don't have, I will be honest. I don't think I have one person that stands out to me. Um, You know, there are certainly people and, and, um, you know, I look at, different aspects of different people. I think like I'll, I'll look at someone like a Richard Branson and I'll, you know, and, and looking kind of what he did and how many different silos of business he created and, and, you know, and, and kind of his genius or, or, um, you know, someone that has taken a, uh, you know uh, and I'll take a Hollywood person like a um a branding person that I think of that takes and you're gonna laugh at this but like an Oprah Winfrey or someone that, that took a that came from Hollywood, right? And granted they had exposure and then and that put together all of you know all of the enterprises. So I think about that, but that's someone that's come from opportunity. Um, and then you think about you know, the woman that created, I'm from Atlanta. So Sarah Blakely that created Spanx mm-hmm. and that was able to turn something oh, yeah. that needed, that was a disruption to, I love disruption, right? So someone, something that was um, essentially a, a girdle, right? A girdle that, you know, grandmas mm-hmm. used to use and now turned it into this brand that, you know, women at cocktail parties will go, Oh, I can't go without my Spanx. And you laugh at that. Right. But it's, it's a household name. She's laughing all the way to the bank and she is, you know, made them into bathing suits and span. And so I think about like all the different things that creativity and people that take this idea. And, you know, I, I literally have, I don't have it really anymore, but I used to have an idea book of all these um you know, of all of my ideas for businesses. And um, I, you probably do not remember the movie Night Shift with Michael Keaton, but he was a entrepreneur and he would have a microphone and he would like put his ideas into, <laughs> and he would, in one of them was like, he would, he would say feed the tuna mayonnaise. And I just remember that because he would like record all his crazy wild ideas. And so I would have a notebook and I would write my Michael Keaton ideas in my notebooks, but I think it's a lot to be able to take your ideas you know, your what if I did this and actually turn it into a really viable business that has multiple business streams, right? That it, you're able to really take this idea and go from, you know, a hundred thousand dollar business to a million and then make it expanded into, you know, multiple units. And do So I don't know that I have one, but I look to people that have been able to yeah. grow seed to something that's giant. Knowing that people are helped, you know, I don't. I don't believe that, there's really truly a self-made person because everyone gets help along the way. Some people have a silver spoon, some people have family, but, um, so I, I just, i am I'm always, um, I'm impressed I guess with people that really have been able to, to do it and and grow something. I think.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's always, it's always fun to have the, uh, the, the stories and the inspiration that come from, from the the success stories, essentially, right? And you do, um, especially when they have their stories told, because you can look through their stories and see, like, what it is that they did and maybe pull some of that stuff into the stuff you're working on. Um, So, yeah, I...
0: I'm always a great, um, I, I say I steal ideas. My my team says, you don't steal them, you just kind of repackage them. But I'm always looking, you know, wherever I go, if I'm sitting and watching a webinar or listening, you know, to a podcast or um, reading a book, I always try to take away a little bit of something of what they did and try to kind of craft it into my own and think about, you know, how can I how can I reflect on it and use it for my own business or my own, you know, personal growth. So, Um, Or then it just makes me antsy because I haven't haven't taken my ideas in my book and made them anything yet. And then I'm feeling like I need to write more
2: ideas and execute them. (laughs) But it is motivational to me.
1: (laughs) So the next thing I want to talk about then is your guiding principles, right? One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Um, for instance, Batman never kills his enemies; he only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So, as we sort of wrap up this interview, let's talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you re- use regularly in your life. Maybe a principle you wish you knew when you first started out on your own entrepreneur's journey.
2: Give me some hard
0: questions to end with. A principle, um, I, I would say, a, a guiding principle or value certainly is um, is to be very, is to try to be very transparent and very. Um, you know very honest in um in my communications with people i am very much kind of what you see is what you get and um i think that, that is i think when you are on when you have honest and real communication and relationships then that's only going to help you in business i think you know being undermined or um being disingenuous is um one it's exhausting and secondly you know you're you're coming from a bad place so um, what I do I have to be real in my, in, you know, in everything I do, it's coming from a real place. And I think, um, that, I don't know if that's a governing principle, but I I don't compromise that. I don't compromise who I am. I don't, um, I don't try to be something I'm not and I make sure that it's all in an honest and good place. And it aligns with, um, any job that I do, anything it aligns with has to have a character and integrity, I guess that's maybe I'm kind of working back into the word integrity, but, um, it, you know, I think that's as I'm kind of thinking through that because you're going to be thinking all
2: through that, but, it, but it, has to, um, it has to align with being, you know, having integrity and, and having a real relationship. Did I answer my, that uh, my
1: favorite definition for integrity. Yeah, I think so. Um, I said my, my favorite definition for integrity is, is that, uh, uh, some, I can't remember if said this to me, but it was like integrity means that um, when you lean on it, it'll stay solid. Right. Like you, your, your wall in your house is integrity. You if you lean on it'll it stay there. And like, you want to be that person that the people around you, they know that they can, they can lean on you. Right. And you'll be there, right. Cause you are who you say you are. You have that honesty, you have that, that integrity. That's, that's letting people know that you can be counted on, um, to always be there, to be who you say you are, to do what you say
2: you're going to do. Um, and yeah, that's a. It's a important
1: <laughs> guiding principle, I think.
2: I think it has to be the, you know, if I think about it,
0: it's the kind of the Maslow's. To me, it's like the base level, right? If you're going into business and you don't have high integrity or you're not, you know, you're forming it on a rocky foundation, your relationships aren't real or you're, you know, you're, you're doing things in a shady way or, you know, it's not, you know, I don't know how you do business. I don't know how you wake up in the morning and look yourself in the mirror because, uh, certainly working in the nonprofit world or doing that, like I, I, I couldn't do what I do. I think I could get people to come behind me and really share in the vision of the mission if they didn't um, if they
2: really trust me and they didn't really kind of believe what I was saying. So I think that's key. Yeah. And donors and donors wouldn't yeah. donate. That's true. So, <laughs> um,
1: yeah, and it's super important, especially with the work you do um yeah so that's basically a wrap on our interview but i do finish every interview with a simple challenge which is the reason you're here actually because um it's called the heroes challenge and we do this on every uh, every episode to help get access to stories we might not otherwise find on our own right that's how we got you here uh so the question is simple do you have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a cool entrepreneurial story who are they first names are fine and why do you think they should come share their story on our show why wouldn't
2: you give you these questions, questions ahead of time so that I could think about this? A cool entrepreneurial story. Um, so, uh, well, I, I have several. I mean, our, our, our founder,
0: um, well, you know what? Siketu, I'm going to say Siketu, S- uh, okay. Sunecha. So he is one of our uh, donors and he started a company and um, I think he's very successful and he's also a great philanthropist. So I think he would be, um kind
2: of a cool person to come on come on so i, I would i would vote him
1: yeah so we'll we'll reach out afterwards to see if we can get an introduction uh but in comic books there's always the crowd of people at the end who are clapping and cheering for the acts of heroism so as we close our analogous to that is where can people find you right if they want to um to help with the Mission of helping hearts last longer. Where can they find you? Where can they go to donate? Where can they go to be a part of the research and the mission and the work that you guys are doing?
0: Thank you. They um, go to enduringhearts.org and um, check us out. They go to donateheart.org to make a donation. Um, so appreciate that. You could also uh, like us on Facebook, Enduring Hearts.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today. Um, Carolyn, it has been a pleasure to speak with you. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before I hit the stop record button?
0: Um, Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. And I really, really appreciate your time today, Richard.
1: Yeah, thank you for being here.